a while back, and uh, it, it, this passage in Ephesians is, is such an interesting little passage, and it's right in the middle of the book, and it really, I can't give you the whole setting for the book of Ephesians, so, uh, you know, it, I've kind of pulled it out of context, so to speak, in the sense that you don't know all the background, but it's, it talks about mystery, and that's always a fascinating thing. And uh, we're always looking for a good mystery, aren't we? Uh, much of life is a mystery. I mean, death is a mystery. Uh, love is a mystery. The mysteries of all kinds of things, the universe, our bodies are a mystery. How they function or don't function becomes a mystery. So in that sense, you know, uh, I wanted to uh, look at this text and just share in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to be reading out of the, uh, the NIV. And I know we usually use the ESV, but this is a little more accurate on the passage that we're looking at. So uh, I want to read it out of it. You, you can follow along in whatever version you have. We don't have the uh, screen to look at today, so... Uh, Either listen or just follow along in your Bible. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of, of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This first paragraph in, in chapter 3 is really a, a paragraph that set, it's the setting for the whole book of Ephesians. So it's kind of a key to understanding the book. And in it he talks about this mystery. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. Maybe it's just a, a, a note of understanding. Uh, our definition of mystery is something that uh, you simply uh, is unknown. That's not totally the understanding here. It's a little different sense. Mystery uh, at this time in Greek, uh, in the Greek language, is something that is known only to those to whom it's been revealed by God. So this is something revealed, this mystery, and that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Also, it's important that you understand Jew-Gentile a little bit at least. You probably have a little knowledge. The Jewish people were people that, of course, descended, uh, uh, descended from Abraham. And they were the nation of Israel and are the nation of Israel. Uh, very distinct people very different from the rest of people, which were Gentile. 
You and I, unless you can have your ancestry traced in the Jewish lineage, would be considered a Gentile. And it's important that you understand that at the time that the New Testament is given here, uh, the time of Christ, and even before, the uh, Jewish people saw the Gentiles literally as undesirables, dogs. Uh, And the Gentiles felt about the same. They thought the Jewish people were very weird and uh, in most cases had wanted nothing to do with them. So there's an alienation there and that plays into what Paul is talking about when he uh, addresses us here in Ephesians in this, uh, these few brief verses. In fact, even back in the Old Testament uh, before Christ, if you wanted salvation, where did you go? You went to the Jewish people. If you wanted to know God, you went to the Jewish people. And uh, that was very plain. Uh, Interesting what Jesus says in John chapter 4. You remember the woman at the well that he was uh, talking with the Samaritan woman? Listen to what he says in uh, John chapter 4 verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship, that is Jews, worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Jesus made it very plain that it came to us from the Jewish people. Uh, So only as an Israelite uh, were you uh, able to be as a Jew knowing God. Uh, And if you wanted salvation as a Gentile, you came through them. You came to the Jews and went through them. The beauty of who we are in Christ. Today, we have no barriers. There's nothing there that we have to go between. Or there's no people that we we have to address in order to get to God. We go through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that's the neat part, uh, or one of the neat parts. Now in chapter uh, 3, verse 1, back in Ephesians, let's, let's begin there. We're just going to kind of work through this passage verse by verse. Uh, he talks about Paul, uh, as Paul is talking about himself as being a prisoner. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, the first thing that you'll see here is that Paul is a prisoner. Actually, there's two parts here. Paul is a prisoner, and then in verse 2, he's an administrator. So there's two parts to this. Administrator, prisoner. Let's look at him as a prisoner. He says, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul is, is teaching this mystery to us here through the letter to Ephesians. And uh, it it may be a little difficult to see how he's coming at this. So let me me help prepare you for that. Uh, Actually, the first part of this section is is as if it were in parentheses. Paul starts this line of reasoning. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he stops and changes his line of thought. 
And so what you have in these next verses is kind of a, a side issue of where he was going originally. If you look down there in verse 14, this is where he's, uh, through verse 13 is what he was saying. Let me read you verse 13. Uh, this is the end of the parentheses that he's putting, the end of this subject. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. He's praying uh, to God for this reason. Um, now, in understanding that then, uh, this is a parenthetical clause. And so he wants them to understand why he is being persecuted and why he is imprisoned. And he's saying to them, you recognize that you are in prison or that I am in prison for your sake in the fact that you are a Gentile and I am ministering to you as Gentiles. So Paul is wanting them to understand the, the, uh, the thought here of him being a prisoner. You remember that Paul in Rome now is shackled to a guard, probably in a house that he has paid for, has rented, and uh, he's under guard day and night. That's a part of what his imprisonment at this point until the trial. So here he is in prison, in chains. And there must have been uh, many of these people that knew Paul and knew you know, what he was doing that were scratching their heads wondering why God would allow him to be in prison. I mean, this guy is a tremendous evangelist. He's going all over the world, uh, known world at that time, and sharing in the gospel. And now he's suddenly in prison, in chains. And they must have wondered how God could have allowed that to happen. Paul is now reduced to writing letters. And so as he writes, instead of coming to them, now he would rather be there, I'm sure, talking to them about these things. But here's the thing. Think about this now. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm his prisoner. Now in that sense, Paul knows that as a prisoner, he does whatever God wants. He's not a captive of Nero, even though he physically is in a sense. He's ultimately a captive of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knows that he's not here unless God has permitted it. He's under God's charge, not Nero's. And so, yeah, he's in prison, but he's okay. He's content because he knows God has some purpose. Now, we know looking back, and reading this letter and many others that Paul wrote while in prison, we wouldn't have had those had Paul been running all over the world. I think God purposely set him aside for a time in order to write these things that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, even though he was in prison, he was free in a sense to do that. And so he's a prisoner for the sake, he says, of you Gentiles. Now think about that, because that's a little, if you know, that's a tough one to think someone's a prisoner on your behalf. But that's what he in essence is saying. 
He's a prisoner for God. Now, Paul was arrested. If you remember back in Acts chapter 21 and 22, Luke writes, who was a part of the, the uh, journeys of Paul, Luke writes in chapter 22, well, in 21, he tells about him coming to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's here at Jerusalem to bring a gift. The uh, Jewish people were suffering greatly in, uh, in Jerusalem. The Christians there in Jerusalem, especially, hard hit. And so Paul has collected from around the churches in the, uh, that he's established to give money to the Christians in Jerusalem. So here he is with this offering, and he's in the temple, and some of the Jews recognize Paul. And they, there is a small riot. Because, you know, Paul is, you know, uh, talking to Gentiles. And they don't like that. And so he's arrested. Now, after he's arrested, he pleads. He asked the Roman uh, officer in charge of him if he can address the crowd. And so Paul speaks to these people that are so upset with him that, they, that there's been a near riot. So Paul addresses them. They listen quietly, amazingly, until we come to verse 21 of chapter 22. And, it, and th- listen to what it says. Now this, if you've got a red letter edition, this is Jesus speaking. Words of Jesus. Then the, Paul is telling about, I should add, Paul is telling about his conversion to Jesus Christ and his revelation from Christ. Christ appeared to him and he was converted. Verse 21, the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, this crowd, again, is near a riot. Why? One word, Gentiles. In verse 22, it says, The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. All because Paul says, Jesus revealed to me, that I was to go to the Gentiles. That was, to them, one of the worst things that could ever happen. Now understand, this wrath is not one-sided. The Gentiles didn't think much better of the Jew than the Jew did of the Gentiles, so it's pretty much mutual. Just, for example, uh, lines are drawn today amongst people, different groups of people. Uh, Back then... The Greeks believed that if you weren't a Greek, you were a barbarian. That was just the way they looked at it. So the Jews hated the Gentiles and hated any talk about Gentiles, especially here in the temple. So Paul's suffering has clothed him with some authority. And so he he is speaking to them with the authority of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know... It would be like someone who goes to war for us and comes back with a leg missing. 
when you talk to him, he speaks with some authority concerning this war. Uh, the doctors that, are, that have gone to Africa and uh, you know, have ministered to people where the Ebola uh, virus is and have gotten sick and near death, if you were to talk to them, you would uh, pay attention because they speak with some authority of what they're sharing. Paul has you know, some authority in this because uh, he's been uh, through this. And so uh, I think what Paul wants the Ephesians to know is this. You folks are benefiting from what I am suffering. Now it wasn't that he was bragging, but he's saying I have laid down my life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he wants them to know you will benefit from my arrest. That was his, his point here. So he's writing rather than visiting because he can't visit. The second verse of Ephesians. Let me turn back there. Uh, the second verse. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now this is the second part of that that Paul was, was saying about himself. First a prisoner, now he's an administrator. They need to understand that he is going through trials because God has given him the responsibility of being a steward or an administrator of God's grace. He was sharing with them. He was a steward. A steward is someone responsible to manage or dispense uh, certain goods or commodities. You are a caretaker. You are giving out. And so uh, Paul was a, uh, was a steward of the grace of Jesus Christ. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, a few chapters back, uh, a few pages back. And in verse 1 he says this, and Paul is writing this. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Paul is saying to them, God is giving us the understanding of these mysteries so that we can pass it on to you Gentiles. If you want to jot down some notes in your bulletin there, there's uh, number one. Uh, and Paul is not suggesting that he is the only steward uh, of God's grace. Certainly not. Number one, all Christians are stewards of God's mysteries. You see, remember we said a mystery was something that is known only to those to whom it has been revealed by God. Okay, well, you have been revealed to by God through His Word, through the power of the Spirit using these writers, and through the Holy Spirit living in your life today. It has been revealed to you, has it not? See what he's saying? So uh, you now become a steward in much the same way. The gospel explains life. It solves the riddles of what this is all about, folks. Life, death, marriage, whatever is awaiting us here in this life, 
is talked about in this book and God has the answers. He knows. Who are you going to go to? If not to Him. He understands. He knows life. He can solve the riddles of our existence and He wants us to know what life is about. And so here we come to the book because it's been divinely inspired. He's given us this book. He wants us to know and understand. In verse 3, Paul says, that is, well, let me back up and say, he's talking about the administration of God's grace that's given. Verse 3, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. So he's, he's saying to them, that what I have given is what I got from Jesus. Some have, you know, suggested even that Paul was kind of a second-hand apostle because, excuse me, <clears throat> contrary to the other apostles, Paul did not live uh, in the realm that Jesus ministered in and taught in. So they thought he was perhaps somewhat second-hand. Others have said, well, you know, Uh, Paul went to Jerusalem and compared notes. No, Paul didn't. Paul had it revealed by Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul never even went to Jerusalem for three years. And then he only talked to James, the brother of, of the Lord, and they didn't discuss doctrine. Paul went 14 years before he came back to Jerusalem and talked with the apostles that were, uh, you know, from the earlier group of apostles. So he was very much uh, revealed to by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing second-handed about it. Christ revealed these to him, the secrets that he's talking about, the secrets that touch the hearts and lives of our existence, the mysteries uh, of this goal toward which uh, God is moving us in human affairs. There's a place where he's taking us. And uh, that's all a part of this mystery of Christ that he has and is revealing to us. And so in verse 4 he said, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. See, by by reading this book, you can understand. Uh, You'll have some insight into the things of Jesus Christ. Understanding, he says, the mystery of Christ. Now folks, that's where it's at. Everything is in Jesus Christ. That's the hope that you and I have. Everything that we are as Christians is in Jesus Christ. He alone. It's in Him. It's around Him. It's through Him. These troubled times that we live in, the pollution that we can't solve, the, the wars that are going on, the poverty, the, the abuse, the racism, the drugs, you name it. I mean, our world is full of it. You know, the Bible addresses these. Don't take what the world says as an answer for what uh, this life is about and what the mysteries of life are, go to His Word, understand it, dig into it. Here's the solution to all of the problems that you and I have. 
It may not speak specifically to whether or not you need to mow the lawn tomorrow, but folks, it definitely speaks to the needs of your life. It really doesn't matter whether you mow the lawn tomorrow. It'll be there the next day if you don't, and so on. With many, many of the things that we trouble our lives with, that is so true. And so he says here in verses 4 through 6, here's the solution to all of our problems. He says, my insight into the mystery of Christ, verse 5, which was made known to men in other generations as it has now, I'm sorry, let me back up because I missed a very important word there. Verse 5, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Marvelous thought there. All of it through Jesus Christ. Even those great men of the Old Testament, those wise men, Abraham and Moses and the great wisdom of Solomon, King David and Isaiah, all of those guys, they didn't know. Well, they knew a, a teeny bit. But they didn't know, he says, of this mystery, how all of that would come together, how it would all solve the problem of man. He would reveal that in his perfect timing. Look back in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 13, verse uh, 34 and 35. Thirteen thirty-four. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Things that were hidden from the very beginning. He has answered and will answer and is in the process of answering. He would reveal it in His perfect timing. Now it's not in our timing. I'm sure those Old Testament guys said, tell me more. I want to know it all. Give me the answers. In His perfect timing, He would plan all of this and execute it. And in His perfect timing, He is going to have one body, Jew and Gentile together, one body. It would be called the church. That's His plan. It's always been His plan. But those people uh, of the Old Testament time didn't know that. God needed to prepare human uh, humanity. And so he started out with some rituals and symbols and gave the law and set up the sacrifice. All of that was preparatory. 
It was a way of getting their minds prepared for the big truth that was to come, so to speak, which was to be Jesus Christ. They would understand some of it. They certainly understood this part of it. They understood something's wrong. Things aren't right. Uh, You know, what's wrong with me isn't cured by just making some nice, good resolutions. That doesn't solve it. Have you figured out that just because you decide tomorrow, I'm going to be a better person? It doesn't work, does it? And so, you know, that's what he's saying here. They realize, they, they knew there was something wrong and it wasn't going to be cured by something like that. The only cure for it was death. You see, that's the cure for sin. It is death. So he's preparing these uh, people in the Old Testament. Now they they knew that Gentiles would somehow be able to receive salvation. But they didn't know much beyond that. Don't you feel blessed at how God has revealed to us? They didn't know much. They certainly didn't think that that they were uh, talking in terms of being equal with Jews. Yeah, maybe the Gentiles will be saved, but it kind of be an afterthought of God. You know, it won't be. We won't be real citizens together with the Jews. In Ephesians, uh, if you look up there uh, in verse fourteen of chapter two. He's already talked about this within his letter, verse 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace. Who's he talking about? He. Christ, of course. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It's gone. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Well, he's talking about the the Jew-Gentile thing, uh, about all men being able to come to Christ in this way, through him, through Jesus. In fact, you know... He's contrasting in this second part of chapter 2 the double alienation that, that Gentiles that we would feel. We are not only alienated from God, we are alienated from the people of God. So it's a double alienation as a Gentile until Christ. And then there's a double reconciliation because not only are we reconciled to God, we are also reconciled in one body to the Jew. We're together with them now. Brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. Verse 5, the latter part there in, in back in chapter 3, he says, It has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This is something that came not from man, it is from God. And it was uh, the apostles and prophets who began to share this, these truths uh, with, with the people. Let me read you in Romans chapter 16. Paul again is writing in Romans 16 verse 25. At the close of the book, verse 25 and following, 
Listen to what he says. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of, of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Powerful verse. Paul says number two in your, if you're jotting down, number two. He says we are three things. We are joint heirs. We are joint bodies. And we are joint partakers. Now his words may be a little different in your translation, but you, you get the idea. Uh, what has happened is uh, we fail to understand this relationship to the Jew, and so he's making this very plain. And what he's done here, Paul, uh, unlike the other New Testament writers, sometimes coined new words. He had trouble evidently uh, telling him what he wanted to tell him uh, in, the, in Greek, so he coined a, some new words here. And that's why it sounds a little maybe disjointed. But what he's saying to us is, number one, that we are joint heirs, fellow heirs. Uh, this translation uh, says heirs together with Israel. <clears throat> Now, uh, joint heirs has to do with possessions. We're living in a natural world. Uh, we, we are joint heirs, he says. We, we are in a world that we can't solve the problems of. We have an inability to solve, for example, the ecological problem. We've tried and tried. We can't do it. Now, I think we need to continue to try, but obviously it's not going to be totally solved. Uh, we were created for dominion. Well, we don't have dominion in the full sense of the word. Because Paul talks about in Romans 8, this law of decay. If you studied physics, I think it's the second law of the thermodynamics that says the law of entropy. And, and basically what it says is, this whole world is winding down. The, the power that is inherent in, within the universe is, is losing its steam, so to speak. It, it's a dying world in a sense, in many senses actually, isn't it? But, but that's the, uh, the law of decay that Paul mentions there in uh, Romans 8. Paul says there's a breakthrough. You know what the breakthrough is? It's in Jesus Christ. This whole world has been broken through because God has given us the beginning of a new creation. You say, well, what's that new creation? What we are, who we are in Jesus Christ. The resurrection was actually a creation of God. And so as we live in Jesus Christ, we're living spiritually in a new creation. Does that make sense? So we're no longer bound uh, in, in the full sense by this old world. 
Uh, in fact, our main emphasis is living spiritually in Christ. It has already begun. And it, the, the, this, it's the beginning point. It hadn't been completely fulfilled, obviously, and won't be till later. But it is the beginning and, and we live in this realm by a different principle or principles than what we live in this world. Uh, it's a reversal of this law of entropy or the law of decay because this new creation will last. It's going to go on. Who you are is not going to die at the grave. Who you are in Christ is going to be enlarged when you die. See, because this old decay world has no hold over the resurrection, over the new creation in Christ. And so that's a part of what he's sharing here, I think, with with these folk. Uh, No one in in the Old Testament had any imagination of what that's going to look like. And we don't really know a lot, do we? Uh, We just think we do sometimes. But I don't think we know a whole lot. But I like what Job says, and and I've quoted this several times at funerals. Job in uh, chapter 19 says this. uh, In verse 19. No, I'm sorry, it's not 19. Uh, It's chapter 19, but it's verse Uh, Well, let me start in 25. This is the part I often read at at a funeral. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, my flesh is gone in other words, yet in my flesh I will see God. Okay, Job, now tell me that again. After your flesh is destroyed... You think somehow you're going to see in your flesh God? Yeah. See, he didn't have much of an understanding. But he understood that God is the giver of life. And knowing God is having life. And and that's exactly what Jesus Christ, the hope that's in him. Life. One crucial aspect of resurrection life... uh, You know, it's hidden in the Old Testament, basically. But it certainly comes to life in the New Testament as as Jesus Christ uh, burst forth from death. Number three, you need to understand resurrection life is available to us not only after death, but here and now while we still live. Resurrection life, life in Christ is now, folks. It ain't going to have to wait to die to have life in Christ. It is here now. The apostles taught that God has already broken through that old creation and now has brought a new creation. It is in the beginnings. As Christians... We live on the basis of a new creation, not the old. What hope is there in it? And as joint heirs, we will inherit this world. 
He tells us that in other places, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul writes this in, in chapter 3, verse 21 and uh, through 23. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. It's all in Him. Whatever you're dealing with there, it's in Christ. Hebrews 1 says, we don't see what it's going to be, but we know it's going to happen. We know it's there. All things are subject to what Jesus Christ will bring to pass. We don't see it all, but we see Jesus. And one day, uh, this is all going to be reversed in this realm. This new law, of uh, whatever he calls it, of new energy and new order is going to rule. In him we will share our inheritance with the Jews and see it all revitalized, renewed, restored, whatever word you want to use, it's all going to happen in that time. The second thing he uses here is that we are joint members of one body, the church. We're, we're together in this, folks, in the church. It, 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 you know, this really answers the questions of why human beings can't get along. You know, we struggle with that in whatever realm you, you deal with, uh, on whatever level you're dealing with. <clears throat> I don't care if it's family, uh, if it's in the church, if it's, uh, you know, at work. We struggle with malice and hatred and crime and division and war. It's just a part of life, isn't it? In places that we don't expect it, that we don't want it. All of it. Because it's a divisive world. It is this this law that still exists in this world of decay, of sin. Fourth, God's eternal purpose is to create a body of people who will love Him and love others. That's what He desires. That we love Him, that we love others. Human division and strife began where? Way back at the beginning, didn't it? It began in Genesis. When God confronts Adam, and Adam says, Wait a minute, Lord, it's your fault. You gave her to me. Well, it's also her fault because she gave me the fruit. And so the division began, didn't it? And that division went on through history, but it very shortly ramped up when a son kills his own brother. You see how sin has multiplied the rest of the story and how these stakes are raised in division from family arguments to arguments wherever we go. Why can't we all get along? I'm always amazed at the the sticker and would like to question somebody that has the sticker that says, Coexist! Okay, but on whose terms? 
do you coexist? You know, the Boko Haram in uh, Nigeria, are you going to coexist with them? The ISIS in Syria and Iraq and all over the Middle East there, are you going to coexist with them? I can pretty well tell you what their terms are of coexistence. It makes no sense. Sin has entered this world and destroyed it. And God is creating a new creation that will at one point rule again. But it will be a perfect rule this time. Because it will be through the, uh, the authority of Jesus Christ. We're still living in that old creation. And if you are living in the flesh and fulfilling things in the flesh, you aren't living in the Spirit. You can't live in both. The flesh is worldly and it is deadly and there is no way out. The realm of the Spirit is the breakthrough that has occurred as we already walk in the Spirit. Let me show you what it says there in the third part. He says we're joint partakers. Or this translation says shares together in the promise in Jesus. You know what the promise was that Jesus gave as he was ready to leave? Now, folks, don't get upset, he says. I'm sending you a comforter. There is a power that's going to come into your life. It will be the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, that promise is not something minor. Understand that it's very important in how the Bible story plays out. It's the promise that Jesus gives us that empowers us. If you sense something uh, that you want, that, you know... uh, you don't have any explanation for. There are times when you sense that God has moved in a situation. How do you sense that? You come to a situation in your life that you're pulling your hair out and you're saying there is no out. But there is. What do you attribute that to? Is it not the Spirit of God moving in our life? He is alive and real in the power of that Spirit in our lives. His Spirit, the Spirit, He is alive and well. Paul's explanation of this great mystery is that it's a breakthrough. It's new and it's a a marvelous way of life that He is offering us. And, And you don't have to wait for the future. That's the good part. In Colossians, just over a a few pages there, in 127, a familiar passage says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, here's the mystery, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's where your hope is, folks. It is in Jesus Christ. No longer does man have to approach God through a particular nation or through a particular person. You no longer have to go to a man and say, this is my sin, here's my sacrifice. Now you come through Jesus Christ. 
into one body, one faith, one people. And all of the promises that Abraham had are ours too. Number five, the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ is the climax of the story of man. It's really what it's about. This is where it all comes together when Jesus Christ enters as a human, setting aside who he is as God, becoming man, yet still God. That's where it all came together, the coming of Christ. Let me read to you from the Living Bible, and I don't recommend it as a study Bible, but it, sometimes it's a paraphrasing. It's just man's literal interpretation. But it's sometimes good to, you know, just to find something that makes easy sense of a passage. And I think this does. He says, and this is the secret. This is verse 6, by the way. This is the secret, that the Gentiles will have their full share with the Jews in all the riches inherited by God's sons. Both are invited to belong to His church. And all of God's promises of mighty blessings through Christ apply to them both when they accept the good news about, about Christ and what He has done for them. Some of the greatest parables are the ones we see in nature. And when I, when I see a cocoon, I think... That's us. You know, we're, we're, we're that caterpillar crawling around and have now maybe crawled into that cocoon and are awaiting spring. What's going to happen? When that cocoon opens, that caterpillar comes forth free, a new creation. And folks, what we are right now is not what we're going to be, but just a beginning. But when all of that takes place, there's going to be an unveiling, an opening up of things, even greater mysteries, I think, perhaps, that we'll understand. It'll all be revealed in Christ. What we have is a blessing that is beyond description. I hope you appreciate who Jesus is in your life. He has given everything for you. He has blessed you in so many blessings in Christ Jesus Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning that we can come in the name of Jesus Christ, not on our own merit, not on our own standing, not because we're going to make it better tomorrow, but because we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our rock, as the one who brings all for us. And we come to you today praising you for that hope, that aliveness that is in Jesus Christ right now. It is in Jesus we pray. Amen.